Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landaway. Hello, Regenerates. On today's episode of the Planetary Regeneration Podcast, we have Rami's Kent, who is a permaculture designer um, involved in some of the most exciting projects around the world that I'm aware of, um, deeply skilled, um, very well read, um, enormously intelligent, and just so happens to be a, a, a black man in, uh, in a moment in which uh, the realization that um, racism towards um, our black brothers and sisters in the United States and around the world is is no longer tolerable. I think lots of people are, are realizing and and I think there's complexity and um, and this conversation with Rami's um, starts with the historical context and you know, how whiteness and race, race in general, racism, uh, came to be and, and how it was constructed and what that means for us. And I really enjoyed this conversation with Rami. It's helping me make sense. And I really wanted uh, to do an episode. I, I think I'll be reaching out to some of my other uh, black African-American or other um, um, folks with different with skin that is uh, less pale than mine. <laughs> in order to just get their perspectives in this moment, because I really feel like deep conversations and just listening and, and creating human, human conversations at this moment is, it's important for me. I'm doing it in a way for myself, uh, just to kind of anchor in my sense making. And I hope it's also useful for you all out there in service to, um, a depth of connection and, and communication and, and sense making in a way that is, is not just the social media snippets, but actually allows us to deeply listen to one another. So um, I'm very proud to bring you this conversation with Rami's Kent. I, I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having it. And I hope it's um, some salve for your soul in these um, uncertain and tumultuous times. It is a demanding conversation. And I think for, for all of us, it uh, Rami's is pointing out the demand, what it will take to um, transform ourselves and our society into something where, um, you know, we can, we can be proud and, um, and create mutualism and respect amongst all, all people, all humans. And so um, I think that's what we need to do and um, have a beautiful day. Um, go out and remember to plant a tree. Um, and you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of different ways, uh, to everybody who's out there protesting. Um, thanks for sharing your voice for, for those of you who are, um, you know, just at work doing your day to day or taking care of your families. Um, you know, keep taking care of your families and keep doing your work. And, and of course, let's keep our eye on what it's going to take to transform, to create a, more just society because you know at the end of the day I, I think we have to there there's no way we're going to get out of this alive um, as a species if we can't learn to respect and humanize and care for one another so uh, enjoy this episode uh, I was just say I was just saying this to somebody the other day 
Uh, I was, uh, you know, I was telling him it's, about uh, something that I told all the things, right? someone. Crazy. Sorry. Oh, okay. So I, I could, I could hear us. Yeah. That was a yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I told, I told somebody back in '07, and I, and I, and I remember where I was. Do remember where we were? I was just, I was talking to my wife about it too, and she, and actually, she remembers when I, when I said this, and we were in um, the bakery. It's actually a co-op bakery. And um, in open well, there's one in Oakland, a couple in Oakland, one one in Emeryville, there's another one in Berkeley called the Cheese Boys, a place called Arismendi. And um, I can't remember what what happened at the time. It was probably like a, a shooting or something had gone down. And I told him, I said, "Yo, I said if you plan on staying here, if you plan on if you stay in the U.S., I said you better get ready to knuckle up." I said I told somebody that 13 years ago. Because it was in it was in the air, yeah. It was in the air, it's I been left, building. You know, yeah, I, you know we left the you know we left uh, the bay and uh, when my family moved over here in March of '09, and then uh, I eventually uh, made it over here in December of '09. Like all of us, so um, yeah. So we've been over here since December '09, and and just been you know, watching the whole thing kind of devolve. devolve. <laughs> what would you say the, the role of this sort of, I mean, there's so many layers of this, right? But what would you say the role of, you know, being a, a black man and, and how society and the police and everything interacts with, in, in general, with black men, how did that play into your decision to peace out and, you know, be an expatriate? No, that was that was definitely a part of the calculus. Like, yeah. No question. No question. I mean, that you know, it's that that wasn't the entire. You know, that certainly wasn't that informed the entire sort of corpus of you know the reason why I left. But you just feel like these people really these these people really feel like they got a right to my life. Yeah. I I mean, you sort of you like you look and you, and it's not even. You're not even making, it's not even a, it's not an emotional reaction. Like you, it's like risk assessment, right? It's like, it's, it's, you're trying, you're analyzing. It's like you have situational awareness and then you are analyzing the, the place in which you are having to operate. And, you know, you're weighing up pros and cons and opportunities and, you know, you're doing like a little SWOT analysis, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And um, and at some point you just like, like, gee, this, this, this isn't really stacking up well, you know. And um, and I was just, and I was just thinking, it was funny. I was, I was just driving over into the other neighboring village to get some groceries a moment ago, and I was just having this thought while I was driving over the hill, and I said, um, like, this is all of this stuff is based on a kind of a delusional idea or delusional understanding of what people believe the world is and 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 who they are and who other people in their you know is it as held in their imagination like who other people um are and there's the kind of this rendering that you are expected to believe in and live according and, and live according to and i'm thinking and, and i said to myself 
why am I expected to uh, validate your delusion? Like, that's your problem. That's not my problem. That's your problem. And so I'm not obliged to adhere to your delusional understanding of the world. Yeah. So, you know, so if we're applying this understanding to something like race, first of all, that's a that's not even a scientifically valid idea. Yeah. Like, so, for example, I'm assuming are you uh, of French extraction? Yeah, French, French, German, like Alsatian from my, you know, from my father's last name and and a mix of, you know, a a whole variety of other places. But that's the that's the like paternal line. Yeah. Right. So. So you're French, German, Alsatian, you know, whatever the the mix is. Like if you were in like somehow in Europe, right. Your folks were French, German, Alsatian. I live in England, right? And in the British Isles, there are certain, you know, there's a mix of people. There's the Welsh British and Isles. there's, you know. Right, yeah, Welsh, there's, 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 there's Scots and there's, there's, there's sort of, you know, there's Irish, there's. Uh, Anglos you know, and Saxons and Normans. Right, yeah, Anglos, exactly. You got Anglos and Saxons and Normans and all those people. Oh my, oh my. <laughs> right, and then, and then these people have been beating the crap out of each other for centuries. How do you cross the Atlantic Ocean and suddenly. To become white, yeah. How, how did that happen? Like, how does that happen? It, well, I, one of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is, "Whiteness is just a figment of white people's imagination." <laughs> I mean, it has a, no. It, I mean, it has a function. Yeah, it's it has a function. I'm just it's just like examining how does that idea have any kind of like it, again? It doesn't have any validity as a scientific phenomenon. Yeah, and this has been. I mean, this is like just like black. Like, doesn't black, yeah, black is meaningless. Yeah, what does I mean, that mean? Af- I mean, Africa. I mean, a- if you go to Africa, I mean, the, the probably the the largest variations in phenotype. It's a whole universe. The kind of Africa. It's a whole universe. It's a whole. Right. Do you know? Do you know about your more specific ancestry? I don't, but I but I can. But it's interesting you ask that. So I mean, so again, living in England has been very is is actually really fascinating for me. So I happen to live in a place. Um, I live on the waters of Plymouth Sound, right? So I live I, I live just across fr- across Plymouth Sound from the from the city of Plymouth. So Plymouth, so you can actually get from my place to the Mayflower Steps in about I don't know maybe half hour, twenty twenty minute like ferry ride. Yep. Like it's the place where the Mayflower left. Yeah. In sixteen twenty, right? So these are the waters where the Mayflower left from. These are the waters that James Cook left from when he went to Polynesia and, you know, all, all those places, like he, quote, unquote, discovered all those places, like for the English. Yeah. Where James Cook left from is where Charles Darwin left from on the HMS Beagle. It's where Sir Francis Drake left from. I've been to, I've, I've been to his estate, Buckland Abbey. It's about 45 minutes, maybe, you know, from my house. So this is, a, this is like, a, and, and, and this whole area, this whole coastline, is um, you know, this is where between Devon and Cornwall, this is where like all the smugglers and pirates and stuff used to run all kinds of contraband. And I mean, so this is kind of a interesting place, for, you know, from a historical standpoint. And for me, I mean, my last name is Kent, right? My my dad's dad's father, my biological grandfather, who I didn't, who funnily enough, I didn't meet till after my father died. You know, died a car accident. 
And I kind of got a little bit more insight into, you know, where these folks are from in, in Maryland. So, um, you know, my, my mom's my mom's folks are from South Carolina. My dad's folks are from uh, on my dad's side from Maryland. My, my On my dad's dad's side from Maryland, on my dad's mother's side from Bermuda and Barbados. So Bermuda and Barbados obviously are were parts of, you know, the, the British Commonwealth. Um, I, you know, I read a book that was written by um, a, a historian named Dr. Gerald Horn called the, I think it's called the, Apolo the, the Apocalypse of White Set. Hold on. Great book. Um, can't find it right now, but it's, 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 I think it's called the, the Apocalypse of White Settler Colonialism or something like that. Guy's an amazing historian. So in, in reading that book, I didn't realize this before, but South Carolina was a colony of Barbados. That's how it came into being. So, so you know, Barbados was a, so when I, after reading that book, I finally, like, I was able to connect these two sides of the family that I didn't actually realize, you know, these histories were connected. I mean, aside from the fact that, yeah, we know that those slaves and Africans were brought to here and there, but actually, that the Carolinas of South Carolina was a, was a colony of Barbados after basically Barbados had been maxed out in, you know, like sugarcane production. Or plantation whatever. economy. Yeah, yeah, plantation system had just basically maxed out and moved to the mainland. The entire system of, of what eventually was used to actually control slaves was developed in Barbados. Yeah. And there's a guy named Sir Hillary, Sir Hillary Beckles who, you know, who, uh, uh, who's written, you know, lots and lots of, of um, he's done a lot of research into that and written books on the whole history of, of how that all worked. Um, so, you know, this, th th that's where I come from. So it's really, it's really difficult to, I mean, I, I found out my, my, my wife's, you know, from my wife's British. Uh, she grew up in, she was born in Devon, grew up in Cornwall. One of the family names on my, on my dad's side, the, the side that comes from Barbados is Pasco. I didn't realize. I found out, you know, ye, you know, after years of coming here, that Pasco is a Cornish name. Hmm. So I kind of accidentally, kind of walked into a, a place where I, I, I assume I actually have some ancestry in Cornwall. Yeah. Maybe they were pirates. I don't know. They probably, they probably were pirates. But I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um, so it's so I mean I, I don't have any you know it's it, we often have uh, I know on my mom's side they've they've kind of would would sometimes talk about you know well I think we're from the Ashanti you know the Ashanti tribe in Ghana I mean clearly we're probably you know West African but it's really hard to ascertain you know given you know the the the, the history tied to the folks I come from I think what's what's interesting is you know if you look at some of that information about the history of the slave trade and specifically the history of the trade, the slave trade in North America, they only brought something like 450 or 500,000 slaves into North America. And then they just bred them out. So actually they would ship them into, you know, places like Charleston, South Carolina. And then slave breeding actually took place in, in, in uh, areas like Maryland. And it was a, it was a huge, it was a lucrative industry. So, you know, you think by the time, so you, you, you ship in over the course of, you know, I guess what, between 16, 
19, and actually you go earlier than that, 1590, the 1590s when uh, John Hawkins, so John Hawkins, who was a relative of Francis Drake, first started bringing Africans to North America. But between 1619 and 1807, because um, 1807 was when the, I, if I remember correctly, 1807 was when the actual trade in slaves was outlawed. So between 1619 and 1807, you brought roughly, what, half a million slaves, 450,000 half a million slaves into North America. The vast majority went to South America, like, you know, Brazil, with the Caribbean. So between 1807, assuming, between 1807 um, to 1865, right, you eventually get to the point at the, you know, sometime in and around the start of the Civil War of 1860, 1861, you have four to five million Africans, or people who are descended from Africa. So you got an order of magnitude increase in population, by and large through the breeding of what was essentially human livestock. So that's like, that's kind of, that's my, or, that's part of my origin story. Well, I think what's what's in, I think what's interesting to examine is what was the thinking that legitimated the idea that that was something to do, right? And that this was like this was like this was a good idea, and it was permissible, right? And so that that's a like there's a whole process that you got to go through in yeah. order to arrive to the place where you sort of marshal the resources. You, gather the energies, you, you get the people up, you gotta like kind of condition them to, you know, say, you know what, this is something you ought to participate in, right? So you got the, you know, things like the Royal Africa Company, and you got the East Africa Company, you know, all these, all these, you know, you, got, you have institutions that are created to facilitate this activity. And um, Another interesting thing that, that you know I've come to discover here, the great thing about the British, the great thing about the English is they're very good at documenting the good and the bad, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. So you can find out pretty much whatever you want, right? About kind of what they've done in the world. Well, one of the one of the interesting things I, I, I found out a few years ago, this was written in an article uh, by uh, in I think it was I saw it in the UK Independent. But there's a um uh, a British uh, researcher, historian named Dr. Nick Draper, I think he's at the University, Co University uh, College of London. And he, um, he did a, um, he, you know, he along with his colleagues uncovered something like 46,000 documents that are basically receipts, which were um, used as, as part of a, um, repayment scheme, it was kind of a repayment program to, to, re, to compensate British slave owners for their property losses after slavery was um, abolished. So, so apparently in the year 1834, approximately 40% of the entire British treasury was paid to people who had owned slaves, right? It was it it was it, a payment was made uh, for property losses, quote unquote. So so that's basically it's basically it's what they call compensated emancipation, and there were a number of actually a number of countries that did it. 
But um, that's what we would call reparations. <laughs> yeah. Literally, that's what we would call reparations. <laughs> so in 1834, um, uh, I believe the quantity that was quoted was uh, 20 million British pounds were paid to uh, something like 3,000 families. That, Do you have that any idea how much that, that's worth these days? Yeah, that's what exactly where I was going. In, in today's money, that would uh, be equivalent to approximately uh, 17 billion British pounds or about 30 billion US dollars. So if you, if you were to look at some of the people that had um, received um, these monies, these funds, um, most of them, or many of them, went on to become leaders in British uh, business, finance, uh, government, um, the arts. Um, you know, many of them went on to become prime ministers. They started banks. Um, and one of the other things I, I, I kind of I connected to that, if you look at the timeline, so it's eight, okay, it's the 1830s. Um, you're in the middle. You're in the midst of. Uh, I mean, it's the, it's the British Industrial Revolution. Yeah. So you could, you could, I think you could safely say that the funds that were received by those people for their property losses went on to finance uh, the British Industrial Revolution. <laughs> well, well, yeah, you know, I mean, the mechanization. I mean, there's a whole piece there where I, I actually think the the strange and somewhat maybe unthinkable thought that got rationalized and led to to the ability for a whole whole group of people to be able to talk themselves into how it's okay to to enslave and turn other humans into cattle i, I don't actually think that that thought disappeared i think you know i i think it just sort of it, it just sort of attached itself to the you know sort of the enslavement and mechanization and you know the all of the shit you know what happens next with the joint stock company in india and what happens next i mean there's just sort of like there's a rolling history yeah. of what happens after that um even no, though no, even though in england and in the, in the commonwealth there's no slavery in quotes it's it's so anyway it's a, it's interesting mental gymnastics for sure you know, it, it, it is. I mean, I think what's also, I mean, it's just also interesting. I think the the idea that, you know, you also have to, you have to come up with ways of convincing people that, again, this is something that they ought to participate in and they ought to enable. So even in, so obviously, you know, part and parcel of that is, is the propagation of this idea of, of this curious phenomenon called race, right? So you, you eventually have the creation of something called again a quote unquote white people and then you have the creation of this other thing <laughs> called a a black people well it's interesting i mean just to riff on this for a second I, and i it's been a while since i was deep in this historical reading so i'm not able as you've done to call up authors and um titles unfortunately but i remember reading it's definitely there's a there's a book called the mini-headed hydra um hmm which which you should read and i'd love your take on it it is it, definitely referenced there where it's talking about the commonality between 
African slaves, indentured servants, mm-hmm. um, sailors, pirates, yeah. this yeah. whole class of, of people and how, how racism was essentially invented because to, these people kept getting together. They kept right. getting together and they kept no, saying, exactly. I'm not gonna put up with this. I'm, this is my brother over here and this is my sister and people right. had solidarity and, and racism exactly was it. basically like the solution to, to maintain property rights. That was- Right, no, that's exactly it. I mean, the, the, I mean in, at least in American history, the, the, the seminal moment where, where that, that fracturing took place was Shay's Rebellion, was um, uh, Bacon's Rebellion. Yeah. Right, Nathaniel Bacon. Yep. Um, I was, oddly enough, my, my in-laws, um, my, my, my wife's stepfather, uh, and I guess my, my, you know, my mother-in-law, uh, the last name is Bacon. <laughs> I don't know if there's any relation. I, I've asked them, I think I've asked them before, but Bacon's Rebellion was, was that's when people were shaking in their boots. They're scary and for people. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and it's not just that one. I mean, they, read this mini-headed hydra. I was so surprised. A, a group of, uh, of uh, free black men and women, um, some of them escaped, some of them, you know, born free, and sailors uh, took over Manhattan. <laughs> rebelled and took over Manhattan and there was like a historical accident that there was like this and I don't remember what it was like some key something happened they basically had taken it over and and the British army managed to take it back through pure luck <laughs> and so and it was this close several times that it's chronicled there were these mo there were several really big moments before yeah. there revolution where history could have been totally different we could have Very been different like new york city could have been owned and run by a you know a ragtag group diverse group of people from all they over could the world. pirates like real pirates pirates, pirates. that's right people yeah. who've been pressed into service i mean talk right. about slave, right. like people who've been pressed into service put on ships and sailed across the world and then we're like fuck this i'm not gonna put up with this anymore yeah <laughs> But I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it, these are, you know, it's, you know, it, it's, it's interesting seeing the way that, that, again, we've gotten to this point. And, and, and the way, and the, again, the way you arrive here is um, there are, there are a handful of, again, compelling ideas that kind of mo- inspire people motivate people, compel people to, um, to move, you know, and to do things. And for what, you know, for whatever reason that, you know, again, there's a particular set of ideas that are, um, that are animating, again, a, no, a number of, again, different kind of parties, a number of different groups. Um, you know, to, to, to invest whatever, you know, time, energy, talents, what have you, to advocate for, you know, a, a, a particular way of rendering the world that eventually, you know, leads to a, a particular destination where, where once you arrive there, they're going to be, there's certain things that are, that are expected of people, right? Yeah. And, and, and 
for some, one of those expectations is that they're made to submit themselves to being humiliated and to being brutalized and to be and and to be taken advantage of and in some cases um, to allow themselves to be killed right so there's an expectation which again i mean i've arrived to a place and you know and i've and i've kind of got my i got all my explanations and reasons for believing this way it's a delusional idea it's ridiculous like it's absurd but the problem, but the but his, I mean, the problem with an absurdity, like people don't people don't necessarily give up an idea because, because it's absurd, it's absurd. <laughs> especially especially if the absurdity advantages you. Yeah, well, that's the thing. What's uh, the the quote? You, know, you uh, I think it's Upton Sinclair's. Like you, you can't get a man to understand something that you know that his paycheck depends on him not depends on right. <laughs> And it's funny. There's a there's a there's a word for that. Um, uh, it's actually uh, I, I was just reminded of it. It's, it's a, actually a, the, the study of the propagation of ig, of ignorance. It's called agnotology. I right? saw that. On your, I saw that on your on your Facebook. It's it's a fantastic word. Yeah. Or. or or another term, and this is this actually comes from the uh, a, a sociologist, uh, uh, West Indian sociologist named Charles Mills, the and, and the idea of an inverted epistemology, mm. right? So if, you know, if, so if, so if epistemology is, uh, you know, the, the study of how you how study of knowledge, yeah. the study of how you know things. How do you know? Right. So, so the inverted epistemology is again, like like how how to not know things. Right. Right. So you you, you kind of turn it on its head. So you well, so there's a lot of that going day. around in social media right now. That's actually one yeah. of the reasons why I wanted to talk, why I wanted to take time to have like a nice long conversation with you because I feel like yeah. social media is, it is this inverted epistemological landscape in which, you know, everybody, even my well-intended friends, it, you know, people who are like, maybe their instincts are in the right direction, but they're sort of like, they're like rage tweeting and instinctually retweeting stuff and all this stuff. And it's like, how do you parse? How, how do you know what that meme was that you just retweeted and who, who manufactured it for your consumption? <laughs> right. Right. And, and what's funny, and what's funny about this is, um, I'm assuming you 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 you've seen that Adam Curtis documentary, um, hypernormalization. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's a there's a uh, a, a British Russian Russian British um, journalist named Peter Pomerantsev who uh, he wrote a book called uh, Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible. And it, and and it's you know and it's a it's a book about his experience. Um, his experiences in Russia, probably from the early noughts, you know, to the to the early teens, and he went there, you know, to to, to be a writer for like a Russian uh, a reality television, <laughs> and um, and there's and, and you know he talks about this this whole sort of class of people in in Russia, and and the one that that is uh, 
a particular interest is, is this guy named, I think is Vladislav Surkov. I think that's what his name is. He's the guy who basically is responsible for Vladimir Putin being a problem power. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so and so th there's this term they call it uh, political technologists. And essentially what they do is uh, and Surkov was like a, was like a playwright. Like that was his yeah. trade. Like he, he wrote. Yeah. And it's funny because all this stuff like makes all the sense in the world, because if you think of all the, the great Russian writers like, you know, Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky and, and all that great Russian literature. It's it's having the ability to create these narratives. Even someone like Ayn Rand, people forget Ayn Rand's Russian. Yeah. Right. What's the what are the ideas that have that have captured all the movers and shakers in America? It's, it's Ayn Rand's, you know, writings. It's, Objectivism. You know, it's, it's, yeah. Rug and the Fountainhead and all this stuff. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, you gotta look out for these Russians, man. These Russian writers, these Russian novelists, <laughs> like throwing a wrench in the works. They're messing up the game. But you know, so, it's so the so theater the, of the absurd. You know, this you know, sort of like postmodern up is down, down is up. Uh, just the, it's it's an art form there. There, I can't remember this. The the name of this woman um, eludes me. She has a podcast. Um, I I listen to her on the Eric Weinstein show, which I sometimes uh, tune into. Uh, it's a podcast, and she was saying there's actually a Russian word for the specific type of humor. Like there's a word in the culture for the specific oh, really? type of humor. <laughs> <laughs> that in which you don't know if the person is fucking with you or if they're oh. being real and you can't tell but it's fu but it's funny like there's a there's a word for that in russian like it is so deeply ingrained this sort of like sort of chimera like is it true is it not true is yeah, it, it am true i being ironic am i being sarcastic right. you can't tell it's like and and what's funny and and what's brilliant about that is um because you don't you don't know exactly what's going on, you can't mount a defense. Well, you just say fuck it. You can't you because you don't you actually don't really know what's going on, and because you don't know what's going on, like so say in, kind of in boxing uh, or fighting terminology, like you can't set your feet to get ready to return a punch. Yeah. So because you can't because because you are uncertain about the the actual position of kind of your target. So because you can't locate the target, you can't actually, you can't counter. And this is what's brilliant about. That's how I feel on social media about, uh, and specifically I've been really feeling that about, about this moment in time on multiple levels. I mean, coronavirus, definitely also, like what the hell is going on, you know? Yeah. Uh, and with this stuff, you know, like, I'm trying to make sense of this and I have a very, Simil, I, I very much appreciated you uh, immediately just taking us back to the roots and like the historical context. So I've, I really, I, I've uh, read similar or the same history. I have, my, in, my instincts are that, that you know, and, and my research and sort of my uh, perspective is, it sounds very similar to yours. Okay, so we sort of build, we're trying to build meaning. We get up to this present moment and, you know, I have to ask questions. I have to ask questions like, A, I, so there's an assumption. I have I have 100% agreement on there's structural and cultural um, racism, essentially. I, I think that's probably the best word 
for it. Although I think it's, it may be it, like it turns into a straw man if it's used incorrectly, but it's like, it is racism well, it's, because it's, race it's, doesn't it's, exist. You know, like, as you're saying, it's like, well, well, the problem, well, the problem is because all that language is loaded. Yeah, exactly. The moment, and it's been loaded. The, the and it's, been, it, it's been loaded on purpose to make this even harder for us to, to right, not. Right. So, so we get to this moment in time and then we're, you know, I'm watching riots. I'm watching peaceful protests. I'm watching cops take a knee with the protesters. And I'm like in tears. I'm like, there's some of that happen. I'm like, that's, that's, that there's some of that happening. I'm watching, you know, sh- sheriffs join the march. It may be a political stunt, but still like, that's awesome. Yep. Okay. They're, I'm watching, I'm watching masked, like white kids who look like Antifa, or, but I don't know if they are, or they aren't throwing bricks through windows. I'm watching all this stuff and I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on. I don't know. I have no idea if like, if there's some, like some Russian plants throwing bricks through windows or there's some crazy white supremacist nut jobs trying to accelerate some race war or some, some like I know kids in Portland who are part of Antifa who probably would throw a brick through a window if they had the chance. Like I know those people. I'm not saying they don't exist. Maybe it's them. Yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> what the hell's going on? No, no, no. You're right. No, you're absolutely. You are absolutely right. And there, and therein lies the problem. And 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 I and there are people. I mean, there's this. There is this whole science of misinformation. Yeah, and that's very much a part of the zeitgeist. Is 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 misinformation, or malinformation, bad information, right? And and that ends up becoming, you know, like a like a camouflage, right? It becomes a camouflage for all the worst. And 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 and, and, this, and and this is like or this is like Orwell. This is like Orwell Huxley, right? So it's somewhere know, between. It's, it's like you, you can't. You know, it's like it's interesting because quantum. Just thinking quantum. Is it a particle or is it a wave? Is it Orwellian or or are we living on island? You know, like where it's all you know uh it, it's it's kind of both at the same time it's right and 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 be, and again because becomes it become it becomes very difficult to ascertain exactly what's going on and people are right for the picket they're right for the picket you can pretty much do whatever you want because everyone's like frozen or or if that if they're not frozen and they, and then they end up and they know that you know we're going to that that many of us are going to end up acting emotionally and and then not, not to mention the fact that you know then you have like um, you know like you know Freud's whole thing with um, uh, you know like Adam Curtis's Century of the Self uh, documentary to, to looking at you know Freud's analysis of you know the fact that people don't make decisions uh, based on emotion they're, yeah. they're not oh, rational yeah. right they, it's not just a matter we're not computers you don't just like feed information to people or present it to people and there is no rational actor like that whole economics perspective and like Ayn Rand objectivism around like uh, okay you create this ethos that I'm gonna make the most rational decision based on my my success in the world or whatever like people don't people don't do that people so that's not that's not, not that's not how we work we're not you know we're not compute you know we're not machines well no it's, it's much more like, complex it's and tribal and, and it's like deep we we we, we have this body mind and and, you know even um even trying to trying to separate out an individual from their context is 
really hard, right? Because I'm some, you know, there's all, there's the, again, I I don't remember, uh, you know, sort of who said this, but there's a common trope, especially amongst the sort of, um, you know, like entrepreneurial folks that I hang out with, software people, VCs, investors, these crew, they commonly say this sort of trope, which is, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. <laughs> and just that, just that the, just that that's like understood, even at that hyper ind- individuated, individualistic kind of culture of success and, you know, individualism and like, you know, like the fantasy of like driving and <laughs> driving the car and like you're in control. Even those people are, are, there's, are super clear that, you know, somehow we imprint and take on the characteristics, the mental capacity, the, you know, the vocabulary, the the capability of the people we spend the most time with. We're not an island, we're an interconnected, we're we're connected somehow. And, and you know, and and that feels like it's super important. So one of the things that I really want to talk to you, I want to get your take on a couple of different things. One of them is, the sort of um, you know wokeness in America and globally, and you know the, where the sort of the postmodern um, critical theory, um, sociological perspective, intersectionality, intersection, intersectional feminism, and all these things that the the right in the U.S. right now has sort of like done, I think, a a very good job sort of lumping all of that together and calling it, you know, calling it wokeness or social justice warriors or sort of saying, like, all of that stuff is bullshit um, because, because some of it is, (laughs) which there's no doubt. I I, I agree. I agree. I'm not, I'm not one of those folks who, you know, throws all that stuff in the same bag. It's it's because it's, it doesn't, because it doesn't belong in the same bag. It doesn't belong in the same bag. Yeah. So I want to kind of get your take on that. For example, I'll give you a quick example. I mean, if you look at the history of feminism, right, there's a lot of feminism that's hella racist. There's a lot of feminist, you know, a lot of, a lot of that, a lot of that, you you know, you read some of them, those early feminist people. There's a guy named Dr. Tommy Curry. Wrote a wrote a book called The Man Not. You should look up this guy, really really sharp guy, and he lays a lot of that you know a lot of that stuff out that you know the kind of gendered, uh, um, uh, you know sort of uh, 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 critiques or the, uh, a lot of those things that that become part of this conversation, especially the conversation as it accords to race. So for example, um, you know the the the, the kind of revisionist history about feminism that somehow like black women and white women are in the same bag and that they were some they were somehow always riding for each other. That ain't the case at all. That's not the case at all. That's not that that doesn't resemble any of the history of you know where, where feminism came from. Where, you know, feminism was about white women trying to be on the same footing as, you know, their husbands and their brothers and their fathers and they were trying to get in the room with those people. And and they felt like and, and and part of the part of what they were advocating for is they felt like, for example, black men should not be ahead of them. Right. And so a part of the way they got ahead was they threw they threw folks like black men under the bus. Yeah. Who, who do you think some of these people were? You know, 
telling folks that some nigga raped me. That's the that this this Isn't recent that social this recent video that went viral of this woman in Central Park with the little dog and thing just sort of you know that feels like it was a pretty. Well, what do you think? What do you feel about Van Jones? Basically, I, I didn't watch watch his. I didn't. I wasn't like watching him live, but I saw it all get retweeted when he said uh, he basically said, you know, b black folks, the the big the people we need to worry about are not you know the ardent crazy white supremacists they're you know liberal women who voted for hillary clinton that's who we got to watch oh, he's, he's he's absolutely right because he he's not the first person to say that I yeah mean, the, folk, the folks he's quoting of Martin Luther king and malcolm x yeah that was their, that was a critique you know in the 60s you know james james baldwin all those people had the same critique you so, know anybody that was you know, they, they all had the same critique that, like those are the people you got to look out for, because because the you know the the racist conservative KK like they're they're easy to identify. It's the folks that are coming up to you and like acting like they're your friends, and and in reality, even if even if they're well intentioned, the fact of the matter is, at some point you realize these people are a liability. Well, so let's put let's dig into this a little bit. Let me take a crack at. At unpacking why that is and see if it if it's right and then you just dig in and uh, go from there so uh, my sense of this is it's very similar um, so if you you know let's just let's just use you and I as a concrete example so if, if we start to develop a relationship you know hypothetically this that and the other happens you know, at a certain point, it's very likely that I'll there'll be differential access. Like I'll be able to access a, a different group of people who maybe have more money, whatever. And at a, at a certain point, there's like an incentive moment where I have to choose. Like, hey, are you going to betray Gregory? Are you going to betray Rami's in order to get this this extra payout? Because these people want to take his share. You know, they can metabolize. They haven't been part of the partnership. They don't know what's going on. They can sort of like, eventually like everything goes to this moment and then there's a choice and some critical percentage, not all people, and it's like there's free will, but some critical percentage of, of you know, white people are going to choose at quote, that quote. moment. Yeah, quote, quote, quote. Yeah, for those who are listening instead of watching, quote, I'm doing air quotes here. You know, uh, you know, some critical percentage of white people at that moment, not all, not 100%, because people are individuals in some way or like have different moral compasses or ethics, but at some point, you know, that hypothetical Gregory and Rami's partnership, Gregory is going to betray Rami's and he's going to say, I'm going to take that extra 20% or whatever it is, and then I'm going to divide Rami's spoils amongst those other fucking people who just showed up and made me the deal. And essentially, like, that's, that's kind of the structural, that's what it is. And you can play that out through voting. You can play that out through politics. You can play that in other ways. Is that an accurate representation of like what the threat is, like the structural threat is from your perspective that, you know, that all these folks that MLK uh, was talking about, that Van Jones just brought back up that you're pointing to? Is that kind of an accurate representation? Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, the, the problem is, is that, that you have folks that, again, would like to believe themselves like these are folks who really would right, like right. to believe. Well, no, I'm going to believe I'll never do that. Like I would never. No, no, do no, no. That. That's, no, no I, I, I'm playing. I'm still play acting here. I'm. I'm saying like. No, I know. So, so, I'm, so, <laughs> let, me, so let me just uh, let me see if I can I can um, uh, string this out. 
So, um, I mean, the thing is, so these are people who, by and large, like they really want to believe that they're good people. Yeah. And they really believe that they're good people. Yeah. And 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 which is which is which is again, I mean, that's that, that's that's I mean, that's fine. And maybe but we can even say they're good people, but the but you can't be a good person in a in a shitty system. Yeah, like, well, that therein lies the some problem. Some percentage and, I mean, of people that are always going to be good and they're going to make the wrong choice at that moment, and it's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, the, but I mean, one of the one of the you know one of my my go tos always when when you know talking about this stuff is James Baldwin, and he, you know one of one of the quotes I love trotting out is. Um, you know, he says, uh, I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. Yeah. Like, you know, at some point, it's, it's like, you're telling me this stuff, but, I mean, it's like, there's a great clip of him on the Dick Cabot show, you know, saying, like, he says, I don't know if, you know, the, you know, fill in the blank is racist. All I know is, like, I can't buy a house in this neighborhood. Yeah. I can't get a loan at the bank. You know, I, I look at the books that my kids are having to, you know, to, to or the, or the, the, resources that my kids have in the schools that they that they have to go to i can't you know i can't get into the union you know i can't i don't i, I don't know i can't say for certain whether or not uh any individual know, is racist, racist but there's i just i just know that there are these there are these structures there are these edifices there are these there are these things in place that you have access to yeah. my supposed ally and i don't right, right? And if you are really my ally, if you're really down for me, then make it so that I can get the same, I can get access to the same stuff that you can. Right? I, I should be able to. So if, if we're really, you know, because and this is and ultimately the the American problem for us is that if we are citizens, right, like other people, the citizens, then why do we? Then why do we not? Why are we not able to enjoy the benefits and the protections? Right and the uh, and the access that that other supposed you know that other citizens have access to, so so you know you end up so you know when we're constantly told and oftentimes is um, you know then you enter into this whole sort of respectability politics thing, hmm. right? You know which is like well you know well there's certain things you got to do you know once once you you know get this degree you know you kind of appropriate this appearance and you then, then you're good then you're good right that, like. So I so like I mean, we've been auditioning since the late 16th century, essentially, and we're constantly auditioning, right? Like you know, come back, let's practice your lines some more. Come back, maybe you know, maybe we'll get the part. It's like yeah, it's and really then there's funny. enough. There's enough. There's it's like it does seem like it's also worth calling out, and I don't know if this is true or not like you know in a in a complete absolutist sense but it seems to me that if you know if the playing field was tilted like this <laughs> at the beginning which is like you know african american people are the base of the economy because they're being exploited yeah. just straight up sl slavery just like just pure and simple you know we've been tilting the the playing field a little bit and you know who knows maybe right now we're at like you know it's it's teetering back and forth. There's still a, it's still a tilt, but it's not the same. Um, so, so some people are going to be like, well, it's not the same. What are you talking about? And other people are going to be like, there's still a tilt. But what's important is to like understand in granular detail what exactly that sort of 
you know, those, those structural incentives and, you know, like in aggregate, you know, can you get a fucking loan to buy a house as a, as a, as a, you know, black worker? Can you, or can't you? And what percentage of the time? And, you know, all those things, like we just have to be super. And it's, and it's, it was, okay. And, and then not only that, not only that, it's not only can I get a house or can I get a loan to buy a house? It's like, can I get a loan to buy a house in an area where the housing value appreciates? Yeah. No, and, I'm, and, and I'm not penalized, and I'm not penalized because of who I am, right? Or can so, we bring know, investment? Or can we bring investment? It's sort of like there's a there's a bunch of different. It's interesting. There's a bunch of different strategies here, but and and it feels to me like there's lots of people, like lots of good people, you know, of many different. I, I don't even, I, you know, there there's many of many different communities working on this. I, I, see, I see people who I think are very competent working on these challenges, the challenge, but, but it's, gonna t- it's sort of like, it's gonna take us another 50 years at that pace. Or, or maybe it'll never happen. I mean, fra- like, frankly, I mean, frankly, bro, and I gotta, I gotta keep it a buck. I don't know if you got five. Well, that's, Honestly, I mean, at this point, I don't know if you got five. I don't know, like, the I stuff's think that's going the, on that's what it, That's what I'm pointing out. That's the issue, right? It's like, at the pace, the change can't keep up with the demand for like it's time now. This is this is too much bullshit, which is you know yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how you. I don't see how you walk this back. I don't, and and not because. Not because it's it it's not a good idea, <laughs> uh, because you. I don't know if I don't know if there are enough people who are in the right places hmm. who are who are who have enough who are as committed to making the changes that you that you're talking about as the people are committed to to ensuring that that doesn't happen. Yeah, but I mean I, I mean I think that's the crux right there. Is like for every you know for for every Atlanta where you know there's a strong black community and they've been working really hard for a long long time and maybe there's it's not perfect but there's some semblance of you know of, of something different playing out there's you know a Washington DC and for, and or there's oh, five, well, or there's 5 DC well, Prince, there's Prince George's County and you know and PG County got got its own issues because <laughs> it's not because I mean because because then there's this whole I mean then there's a, this whole thing about you know what what some people would call you know aspirational Negroes right where basically it is the goal really to become effectively what I call <laughs> melanated white people right is that well, cultural you're just adopting the, the culture of the of the dominant class and saying like yeah. I'll just do everything you I'll just jump through every hoop I, I want access that's what I want and and I, and that's the and that's the thing that I question is, and this is pretty much sort of every quote unquote minority or every quote unquote outgroup that um, has ever been in the U.S. is that there that everyone quote you know everyone's trying to get their place at the table, right? And that in order to get your place at the table, you effectively have to become sort of a lesser version of the people that you're that you are auditioning for. So I'll give you a great example: the mm-hmm. Irish. Yeah. Right. The Irish—they're—they're they're the poster children for this. Yeah, totally. Right. They've been getting the crap beat out of them for eight hundred years. My well, wife's I, Irish. 
I, they my were in, straight up, my, straight my, up. My father-in-law, father straight up, and my father-in-law like supported them. Yeah. Huh? Straight up enslaved, just like, just like you know, Irish were part of the breeding program in Barbados. With you know, my, the, yeah. yeah, my 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 um, my uh, my father-in-law supported them, right? He and he and his brothers could they talk about all that crazy, you know, orange men versus the you know IRA stuff and people getting black and decorated like they 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 lived in the middle, all that. Yeah, and you know, it's like. What what happens to the Irish when they come to America? People like Daniel O'Connell, the you know the Irish nationalist. He told you know the one that he was over here hosting Frederick, Frederick Douglass and and he you know he was saying how the Irish that were coming to America should you guys should be on the same side as as the slaves as, the, as these black folks. Yeah. That's not what happened. Well, they were like the month, they were the and then they weren't because that because There's no point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's no point. Like you, you know, you're like, I don't know if I like, you know, I don't know if I like being on the other side of this. Right? Well, let me ask you a question: Can, like, can a liberal, democratic, capitalist society actually structurally change in the way that's needed to, to, you know, have a have, um, to create solidarity and. I don't know, harmony and mutual care, mutuality between different groups of people, different cultures of people who have their own individual character and their own depth of story and history. Like, is it, is, is it possible within that framework? From your perspective? I don't know if it's a matter, I don't, I don't think the question is whether or not it's possible. It's a question of whether or not people want it. Hmm. I don't know if you got enough people that want it. So, you know, it's, so it goes back to what I was saying before. Look, all this stuff is absurd. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, if you are if you are advantaged by the absurdity of the absurdity and the ridiculousness, you are less likely to identify it yeah. and call it as such because you're advantaged by it. So it's 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 not a question of whether or not it's possible. Sure, it's possible. It's but it's but there's a difference between something being possible and then the, the possible being made real because people want to make it real. And I don't know if there are actually a, enough people who want to make it real, who are committed to doing whatever they need to do to ensure that it becomes real. And, and to the degree, to the degree which they have, they have as much certainty in the belief that it should be made real, that it exceeds the, the certainty and the belief that the, that the people who don't want it to be made real, like they 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 are willing to actually do what's necessary to ensure that those people are not going to stop them. I don't think you have enough of those folks. I don't think you have enough of those people. Now that's not it's it's not you know. And that's not an emotional response. That's just the reality. You have folks that are committed, and then you have folks that are committed to a point. Uh -huh. Right? There's lim there are limits. Yeah. And then you and, got folks who are anti, who are going the other direction as hard and fast as they can. Right. And then you got folks who are yeah going in the other direction as hard and as fast as possible. And then you have folks that are just indifferent. Right. Or, and then or, are telling, or like you know which way the wind blows. You know, on any given day, yeah. they may sort of. They, oh, 
what did my neighbor do? What did my neighbor do? What did you know? Yeah. Right, and then and but that's what, what that's Fox what News you know, tell me MLK, to do. But the thing is, that's what MLK and Malcolm X are talking about. Yeah, is that the reason why those those moderates are dangerous is because they you end up becoming lulled into having a false sense of security because you think you have an ally, you think you have somebody on the team, and the fact of the matter is, you don't. It's some, you know, it's someone who, it's someone who, they mean well. They don't, they don't, but the problem is they don't mean well enough. Well, the, the question is always, and this is, and this is kind of what I was trying to paint with the hypothetical of like, okay, we're partners, it goes to this certain point. The question is, is like, are you willing to lose? Or are you just going to try to help the other person win up until the point where it gets risky? that you might lose with them like like i think that's the question for for you know in quotes allies like like are we actually willing like are you willing to go and go hard enough to, and like in the moment like are you willing to just lose with the other with with the with you know african-american people like are we willing to lose or are is it just until it's you know is it convenience is it we go to the point where I, for me, for me, for me, it's it's simple. Either I'm a citizen, like you're a citizen, or I'm not. Yeah. Do you feel and like if I'm you're... a citizen? And if and if I'm a citizen, I, and I told you, I told this to a, to an old friend of mine, like one of the hardest, one of the most hard-headed people I've ever met in my life. As a kid, I went to high school. You know, I, I went to like grade school, all like first grade to probably tenth grade with until he he transferred out. The most hard-headed people. I ever met in my life. Uh, it became a, I grew up on Long Island. I'll tell you, I, so I'll give you an idea of where, I, like, just to kind of provide more context with this. I grew up on Long Island in the 70s and 80s, right? This is a place where, you see all those people that are on, you know, that are news folks on Fox News and all this, but all those people are from where I come from. Yeah. P, like the congressman Peter King, that was my congressman yeah. in the area where I grew up. Like, so that gives you an idea, like Bill O'Reilly went to, he graduated from a high school that the school that I went to used to play in high school sport. You know, Sean Hannity, all those guys. That gives you an idea about the kind of people that I grew up with, right? In part, in part. So let's get over to high school with, went to, you know, he eventually became a firefighter. Now friends of mine became NYPD, you know, fire department, you know, New York fire department, all these guys. And some of these guys were, you know, were actually called to the towers on 9-11. Mm. And I had, over the years, it eventually become, like got reconnected to them, like by way of Facebook. Yeah. You know, when I had talked to these people in, you know, 20, 25 years. And, you know, and, and, and during that time, I, I, became, I became Muslim 20 years ago. Mm. So obviously in kind of big, uh, becoming reacquainted and them find, you know, kind of discovering this, you know, we can have some really pitched conversations because folks have you know, some particular ideas about, about that yeah. in addition to whatever else, you yeah. know, makes me up. Right. And in the, in the course of that, and, and, and one of the things I said, and, you know, and talking about the, the quote unquote, the grievances that, you know, maybe people like me might have or might not have. I said, look, dude, I said, at the end of the day, if I'm a citizen, 
right? Like you're a citizen, right? And I'm your friend. And these people come for me. If you and if you have any regard for me, if you have any love for me, and if whatever times we have, you know, from the from the period of time when we were six or seven up to the time now when we're in our you know 40s. But if you don't come ride for me, yeah, if these folks come for me, if you can't advocate for me, right? I mean, what what does it take? And and then aside from the fact that, fine, they might do that because they know me. Like, what if they don't know me? And again, I'm just a citizen. And and if we are citizens, and and you're really about this America that you're constantly beating your chest about, like, do I really have to look like you in order for you to have a regard for me and 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 have enough and believe enough in this idea that somehow this the i the, the kind of the ethos that that is that forms the foundation of this country includes me right that and and you believe in that enough that you are going to defend me if that system in fact prevents me from having the same type of access to the benefits and the protection as you do then you know i'm going to feel some kind of way about the expectation that somehow i got to like buy into this idea the same way that you buy into it because I'm not seeing the same benefits, right? I don't get the I don't get the same reward. So I mean, so ultimately, un- unless we're all seen as being, you know, you know, equally worthy of of that um, of that status again, again within the context of the country, if it in fact is about you know all the people right for the people i mean then then i mean in fact who 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 are the people to begin with mm-hmm. does the people include me mm-hmm. and, and, it, and, it, and it's funny i mean I, I, you, you you have to actually start asking about how certain terms are defined like what do you actually who are the people yeah. <laughs> you know who are the people? I don't know. I don't know if the people. I mean, I mean, we actually do know, you know, that the that the people, by and large, did not include people like me. Yeah. No. At the founding of the country, I, I think that I think it kind of went back. There was a there was definitely a conversation about it, and it definitely ended up that people like you were not included in the people. No, it's like you know, Dred Dred Scott. You know, Dred Scott says, eighteen fifty seven. Right, uh, Justice uh, Taney. Right, he said. He, you know, he says. You know, he said that uh, that, a, that a that a that a black man had had no rights. That a white man was bound to respect. Well, but but in, there fact, was a, in fact, a calculus of how much you know, uh, uh, black African American black people were worth in terms of you know their vote. What what was the well? The, well, I mean, well, obvi- obviously, well, I mean, well, obviously, the you know the the, the whole three fifths compromise. Yeah. Yeah. Was to was to allow for representation in you know uh, uh, you know political represent, representation in states that did, did not have not have as much of a free population, which would have prevented them from having the same kind of voice in government as those places that that didn't. And they obviously had they they did have different interests, uh, they had different needs, um, 
but but again it didn't it didn't include the voice of you know this other uh this other population of sentient beings mm. you know because they weren't legally they weren't people so you know they don't have that again whatever whatever needs or concerns that they had weren't represented you know and then i think the you know and the other amazing thing to, to think about and this is you know it's astonishing that this isn't fully understood or appreciated is the fact that you know dude how, how can you be in a country for how can you be in a place for 400 you know plus years and and effectively not have any equity in it you got no equity like you don't you know you you have this whole lineage that's vested in the formation of the place and yet none of it is yours and that's not to say that you know it's like you don't have a piece you know you don't have a piece of that pie and i think to a certain extent you know i don't know if that's entirely a bad thing because you know that that pie that pie is kind of poison hmm. you know and it's like i don't you know that might not be a bad thing that you don't have much of it um but I, you know, but I think that whole idea of, you know, you, you, again, you're trying to get your place at the table so that you can get a piece of it. I think, I think a, a more, I think a, a more compelling, a, a, a more attractive proposition for me is, um, we, we just need to build a new table that's actually worth pulling up to. What does that look like? But what do you want it to look like? You know, I mean, I mean like, you know, is that is that within the, you know, with, within the geographic region of, of the United States of America, you know, is is that, you know, corporate structures? Is that, you know, some sort of state structure? Is that somewhere else? Like what? I mean, I know that other people have had that thought, right? There's been, there's been, you know, folks went back to Africa to, to sort of, you know, try to build something new. Uh, in, in yeah, Liberia, I mean, it's, you it's, know, things things have been there's been there's been impulses, and and it, you know maybe they're not exactly what you're saying, but just to try to land. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we still have to ascertain, you know, what what forms the basis of what would eventually become that table, hmm. what would inf what would inform the design of the table, hmm. right? So it's one thing to say like you know, we should make a new table. It's like okay, well, what's it going to look like, and you know, and and how do we and how do we ensure that we can actually create places for everybody to be able to pull up and i think and i think one of and one of the things that 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 has to be done in order for that table to actually be made properly is we have to i think we really have to account for the assumptions hmm. that inform the the design which creates the table because if we go back and we actually look at the assumptions made that informed the design of the American table. I think we we would see that there would be a, there would be some some problems, that, like there's some, there's some serious flaws to you know to to again the initial ideas that inform the design of that table. Um, what's so it's so what's funny is I actually I wrote I wrote a about maybe six years ago seven years ago I wrote a I actually wrote a, a article for the PRI website called uh, Permaculture and Slavery, a System Analysis. 
and and one of the things that I said in it was that was that you know again part parcel of this idea of 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 slavery was that it was found again necessary for whatever reason that you had to that that an entire again an entire group of people had to be made you know in terms of like kind of the cognitive mapping of of, of all of this they had to be made into non people yeah you first had to you first had to number 1 create the concept and then whatever was necessary to to, to articulate that idea like you had to spend time in figuring out how to articulate the idea that these these black people were not people because they didn't look like you, right? And then you had you had to actually mobilize the 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 uh, you had to actually marshal the the energy and the forces that would allow for you to be able to go out and actually. Um, Mope, uh, f uh, what we say, operationalize the idea, because hmm. that because it ain't that's not just that's not something you do that's not a snap judgment, like that's a that's something that's very considered. It's not easy, you know. It's not easy to do. To you know, and and I mean, in the in in the according to again what we have access to as far as the numbers, it's just 12, 12 plus million people. You know, and you, and you lost about fifteen percent, something like that. I mean, a lot of them are at the bottom of the Atlantic. So, you know, I think I think number one that 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 flaw has to be faulty idea has to be um, addressed, right? So it's like. There is no such thing as, you know, um, there aren't any waste people. Because that's, that's effectively what you're saying. You have, you have, like, you have people that can be kind of, like, you have to, dis you have to distort the world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You literally have to, dis you have to, you have to actively distort reality. Like you have to twist, you have to twist it into something that it isn't. And I think we, and I think we have to, dis, and we have to begin from a place where you explicitly state that that is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. That is a non-starter. And you have to, and you have to deal with reality as it is. And 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 then. If you are ready to deal with reality as it is, then you can proceed and actually, you know, create something that act, that that makes sense, given the actual nature of reality. You know, so for another example is, um, you can't do what you want, to, you know, to, you know, to the natural world and not expect for it to, at some point, come back and punch you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> it's just gonna, you know, it's like it's not a shock. Like that's gonna happen at some point, and that you know, and there was, and and there's a whole, you know, there's a whole, uh, 
you know, there's a whole, like a set of historical literature, you know, there's a whole patterning of history that, that actually makes that very clear. Yeah, well, I mean, Josh, don't trouble me with trying to extend personhood all the way to nature, man. <laughs> well, it, well, it's, it's, not, it's, well, it's not even, well, it's funny, there's, um, sentience or care or whatever we want to say, you know, what, yeah. like the deep consideration of, of the health of another being, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We've been on a trajectory of trying to make that as limited as possible for quite some time. And I think what you're well, I mean, saying it's, is it's, it's got to change. It's, it's got to change. Yeah. Part of the, I mean, I think, I think this is part parcel of the problem. And it's kind of like feeds into stuff like, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, right? Nassim Nicholas Taleb, the, the, like the anti-fragility idea. Yeah. Right. Where, you, where if you, you try to take something that is, complex not necessarily complicated it's complex hmm. and in, in an effort to try to make it number one more understandable and number two by making it more understandable you ostensibly are trying to make it more controllable right you immediately take that thing that was made to be complex and you make it worse yeah well that, that's a, the, the sort of like maybe if we were to say you know the original sin of of reductionism there it, 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 there, I, have you read any uh, Gregory Bateson or or um, he speaks a lot about this? As does actually math, uh, on the mathematical side, Dave, David Bohm talks about this. Essentially, where if you are sort of creating a reductionist mechanical worldview, and and which I think resonates with the like you you you've been talking about, what does it take that the enormous effort to sort of like in your mind willfully choose to see reality in such a way that is not real so that you can right. simplify your actions you can justify these otherwise unexcusable actions day to day to day to day the enormous effort that that is david bohm actually sort of he's basically saying that reductionism that choice to to it, it is actually like ripping apart the spab the fabric of space and time basically is what he's yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. you know we see it as enslavement and uh you know trauma historical traumas and we see it in our lives we experience it in all these ways and and he's sort of saying like at a bigger level it's just choosing to like rip asunder the universe because it's you know somehow easier than like attenuating one's consciousness to the actual complex living complexity that's there yeah i mean it, well it's li literally like it's like you know you're sticking your head up your butt <laughs> yeah. yeah you know it's like and, it, and it's like and and you and this and the refusal to deal with reality as it is and and again to try to render it into something else thinking that it's easier but it's like, not. It's so hard. It thinking, so much effort. Right. It's so much it. effort. Right. It's like it's like you know what Bill says in the designer's manual. Right. It's a, it's an energy maintained disorder. Yeah. It's an energy maintained. Like it's not as though this is easier to maintain. Yeah. How many calories like, do we use to just rip us under the earth to plant our corn? How many? How how much energy do we use to keep an entire culture oppressed how much energy do you use to just like make make it that way yeah it's right and and the thing is and the reason why people continue to do it is because it's what they're familiar with 
Yeah. It's what it's they know, it's right? People are just doing it because it's what they know. They don't know anything else. But it's not as though it doesn't have an effect. So I'll, so I'll give you an example. So this, I'm always fascinated by this. You know, you're looking at, again, these statistics and, you, you know, and you're able to, you know, you decipher. It, it explains everything for you. So, for example, um, I, remember when, I remember when this was first brought to my attention. This is as a, as a researcher, medical uh, doctor at uh, UC Davis, um, a guy named Dr. Garen Winnemute. And um, he, does a lot of he does a lot of research into, you know, the, the, the epidemiology of uh, firearm violence in the U.S. And so one of the things he's, he's tracked over the, I don't know, course of the last maybe 15 years, 20 years, is, is, the, um, is the data uh, connected to uh, deaths due to firearm violence. And so every year, um, on average, there's about 30,000 deaths in the U.S. connected to firearm violence. About 11,000, 10 to 11,000 homicides. Two thirds of it is suicides. If you actually look, if you look at the, if you look at the breakdown of that data demographically, guess who? Guess who the bulk of that number is? That two thirds. Who do you think it is? I mean, I, I gotta say, it's 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 probably black people. Which is actually very curious. In spite of all the stuff, in spite of all of this, you know, nonsense we got to deal with, it's not. It's not black. Well, hold on. Is it? Is, hold, hold on a second. So, is let me wrap my head around the statistic. Is the statistic the the actual number or the proportional number? The put the so the of the third of the thirty thousand deaths per year on average. Yeah. that are uh, that are due to firearms yeah like firearm violence two-thirds of that 30,000 is actually suicide oh, one yeah, third yeah, yeah. is is yeah. homicide right. yeah yeah no, no, no. so I, what i was asking was demographic in terms of demographics of who oh. do you think oh, it's the bulk of that two-thirds is that's definitely white men i you know Definitely, Precisely. Definitely older white, for, for sure. Yeah. Older, older, older yeah. white men. A hundred percent. Right? Yeah. Older white men. Again, which is very interesting. So how so how is it that the group of people, the demographic, that this entire system is is essentially constructed to advantage? Why are these people killing themselves? Would you like me to answer that? <laughs> I mean, you could. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, again, it's just like it's just you're thinking about okay, and when and talking when you talking about what you just said about renting, you know, you are renting asunder the you know the fabric of you know space and time, and through this this attempt to make the world or make reality into something that it's not, like again. What kind of effect does does that have on you? It has that effect. So you just pointed out, it has the effect of it. <clears throat> I, I would argue, and you know, some of this thinking is is uh, thanks to uh, you know, longtime teacher of mine, Martine Prechtel. Um, you know, the unmetabolized grief of that willful 
choice to perpetuate a system of violence and oppression uh, is unbearable. It's unbearable and it makes you go crazy. That's... Okay, so with that, let's go, let's extend it to drug use, right? United States is arguably what, it's gotta be biggest drug market or easily one of the biggest drug markets on the, on the planet. Whether you're talking about opiates or, um, you know, uh, psychoactive drugs or, you know, what, whatever narcotic you could, you could, you know, you could name. And who's using them? Who, who, who's using them? Yeah. Not only, not only is who's using them, who has the money to buy them? It's not black, black folks have the money to buy them. 12% of the population. We're, economically, we're at the you know, bottom of the barrel, something like 10 cents there, 10 cents to every 10 the black, but, but again, black Americans have 10 cents of wealth to every dollar of white wealth, right? That's like, that's roughly the, the, the demographic. And yet, those are the people who are, who are having to bear the brunt of, you know, the, 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 the drug war over the past 25 years or whatever it's been. 30 years, 35 years. Why, why are the, they're not the people that are buying the dope. Why are the people that, why aren't the people that are actually break, like trafficking the stuff in and buying it and using it? Why aren't they the ones who are actually bearing the brunt of, you know, the drug war, right? Cause it's not, like, who's buying this stuff? We haven't got the money to buy it. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, just like just like just like we don't have the money, we haven't got the money to buy the guns, right? It's like something like 255, 265 million firearms in the United States. Like, who, who's got them? We ain't got them. We don't have the money. Why? So we okay? We don't have the money for the gun. Why are we the ones that get that are the you know? Why are we the brunt of the bearing the brunt of the violence? You know, that's meted out by law enforcement agencies. Because if you actually, because, I mean, we're not, we don't, we don't have enough to, we, we don't have enough to comprise enough of a threat, right, to actually rationally justify or explain the levels of violence that you see meted out to those people. Because we just, we haven't got the stuff. So it just, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. Like square peg, round hole, the information doesn't make any sense that is actually informing or fueling what you see happening, like out in the world on the street. We don't have got the guns. You just had a bunch of people walk up into the state house in Michigan with guns strapped across their chest, flat jackets and magazines sticking out everywhere. Like how are those people, how are those people not the threat? And how, you know, and how are these people that are out in the street, you know, trying to, you know, quote unquote, non-violently protest, how are those people getting shot with rubber bullets or real bullets or whatever? How do those people comprise the threat? Yeah. Because, because ultimately, here's, I mean, here's the problem. You don't, because this kind of treatment that you see being exacted to this particular group of people, you don't do that to, you don't do that to people who aren't weak. The only people you do that to are weak people. Like the reason why you don't do it to anybody else, the reason why you don't do it to other folks is because you know that the response to what it is that you would be doing to them 
endangers your own safety. So you do it to people that you know your safety is not in question. That's yeah. the only reason why it happens. Yeah. Well, as you were talking about that, I mean, there's so much truth to what you're saying and, and so much complexity that it tugs on because, you know, that's sort of like, I mean, I don't think monolithically, but predominantly white militia movement that you're talking about or whatever we want to call it. I don't know what do you even, what, what we even call it these days. I don't know. But I, when I was, I mean, you can call when it I was growing up, it was the militia movement. And, and, you yeah, know, they were like all Turner, in Turner, Diary, Turner Diaries and all that stuff. All that shit. Yeah. And, and, and there was a moment in the 90s when the feds went hard after those folks. Yeah, like the, Dave, the, the Branch Davidians, David Koresh. All that stuff. Know, all, all those dudes, yeah. It, it, and, and what happened out of that was Timothy McVeigh is what happened out of that. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and again, that's, preci that's precisely why they backed off. That's, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a pretty that's, that's logical. That's exactly why yeah. they backed off. Yeah, that's a lo very logical. Conclusion. I mean, you, keep, you know, keep it a keep it a hundred. You got to keep it a buck. And 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 it was. I mean, and, and it's not to say you know, you know, I mean, I don't I don't blame the FBI, ATF, DA, whoever. I mean, you realize you start you start you start looking at the numbers, and the fact of the matter is, there's more of them than there are you. So, I mean, that's the fact of the matter. You start again. You, you just, you just, you just analyzing. You're doing the calculus, and you realize this is probably a bad idea. It's probably a bad idea. So, to that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a strategic move. Because you, you know, because you know, if, if, if you are responsible for maintaining the order of a place, and you know, I mean, that's why you have, you know. Folks like Clive and Bundy and all these people. That's why you can do. You can just be like, I'm, yeah. I'm grazing my cattle over here. I do what I want. I'm, I'm gonna do what I want. You're not gonna stop me. And people show up to back them, and the government doesn't do anything because they know. Again, you're looking at the numbers. We don't have the numbers to actually. If these guys decide to raise up, and we don't have the numbers to to, to actually counter it. So. You know, and, and again, you you can you can do this. You can look at this dispassionately, hmm. and I you know, and this is what and this is what I do a lot. I sit here and I'm th and I you know, and I, I think about a lot of this stuff because you're just trying to figure out, okay, what are the what are a reasonable set of possibilities for me to consider in terms of like what do I see as being a way forward? Yeah, in creating a future somewhere. Who you know? Who can identify as an ally? Who do I have to be careful of as a as a potential, you know, enemy or liability or whatever? And then after and then after you weigh all that stuff up, then you then you can figure out where you can go, right? And what you can do, you know, yeah. And what and what are what are a reasonable set of expectations? It's an exhausting calculus. Yeah, I, I guess in the beginning, but you know. It's 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 interesting because you know at first at, at first you know when thinking about this stuff you can you know obviously you can become you can get worried you can get anxious you know then you know then there's sort of like heartbreak and disappointment and 
why, why? And then it comes a point where you sort of, you move beyond that stuff. Hmm. Because, because, because what ends up happening is, and I mean, I think part of this also is, is a product of, you know, kind of like my faith, like my belief, is that, you know, the world is not obliged to adhere to your preferences. Hmm. Right? It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to entertain or fulfill, you know, your wishes as it accords to your preferences. Because your preferences are just, they're just a collection of things, at least at the moment, you happen to like. But ultimately, you know, or the things that you want. But ultimately, you don't actually know what you should want. Like, you actually don't know what's good for you. Mm-hmm. At the, you know, at the, like, the really kind of, like, kind of look at maybe some of the metaphysics. You actually don't know kind of in, independently of mm-hmm. having, you know, there's, there's another set of information that would inform you about what it is that's good for you. You actually, in and of yourself, do not know what is good for you. You just have a bunch of stuff that you prefer. I mean, it's like, you know, the drug addict loves dope, right? And they think that the dope is good for them because it makes them feel makes them makes them feel good at the moment. But that same dope, if, if they keep on indulging in it, will eventually kill them, right? So, and they just, so you do know, you use that metaphor? Good. To use that metaphor and and kind of sum up what I'm hearing you say is in a way what's going on right now is air quotes white America, whatever that means. And you know, whatever that is, whatever that is. And maybe, and maybe, maybe specifically even well-meaning, you know, in quotes, liberal, progressive in quotes, individuals are their prep, their, the, their dope, the, the thing that at the end of the day, they may, you know, like these, these addictions, re, uh, there's a relapse, 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 relapse. In this case, the relapse of, of convenience, the relapse of choosing to stay on top, the, those relapse moments, even though you may have good intentions, those cost black Americans, uh, uh, you know, the reinvention of the table in such a way that it is actually a table worth sitting at. And that's... Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and, 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 I, and, I'll, and I'd have to also extend, I'd have to extend that. I mean, who, whoever is having to bear the brunt yeah. of the, the, yeah, the maintenance yeah, of, of, that, just, of that order. So it's not just that. It's not so just we're black. talking about like, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, yeah. I mean, whoever would, whoever's at the bottom rung of that, of that, you know, that, that total goal, that ladder. I mean, and I would argue, I would argue, although race has been very firmly entrenched in the American psyche and maybe even the global psyche at this, at this moment, uh, you know, due to the historical context that we've discussed and uncovered, you know, there's some intentionality around that. You know, I, I experience, you know, you never know when your group is going to get, in quotes, your group. You never know when there's going to be a new group that gets sucked into the maw of getting othered and, you know, sort of like 
it's not just like, you know, and I, and I think this explains, and I think the terror around that explains, it's used, that is a fact. And that fact is used in a confusing sort of way in order to keep, like, like why the hell are poor working class Americans predominantly, you know, sort of like starting to veer towards, you know, or seemingly, and I don't even know that this is true, to be honest, because you know, like, if you talk to people, one person on another, I don't know what you'd actually find. But seemingly, the portrayal in the media is like that group of people that was, you know, that, that sort of fell out of the Rust Belt and all those other places seem to be veering towards some sort of ethno-nationalist kind of, you know, fight to get, to get there, to, to keep what they've got, you know, that, that group yeah. of... Oh. You know, but but again, they go, because that, they're they're worried they're going to become they they're feeling like they're going to become that group which the other the which is the other that there'll be more brown people and there'll be and there's the liberals and there's all these other people and they'll create this uh, this new elite and they'll be the the downtrodden ones and maybe that's even I, I mean I would honestly say that's 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 not impossible it's not crazy either we have to also accept that the system can just arbitrarily pull a group of people and you know in 20 years we can all be like yeah of course there's no such thing as race but those people are pieces of shit <laughs> whatever they are however yeah, well, you- i mean well that well that's the that's the but you know that has been the 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 line that's been used yeah as as sort of the this um again it's a, it's a false identity yeah, that has allowed uh, allowed for the things that you know you see in place to remain in place. So it's like what I can't remember the I can't remember who's quoted as saying this. I can't remember it was like George Wallace or one of these folks in the South is like, and it was in reference to, uh, you know, he was saying this about, you know, it doesn't matter like how well educated or or um, how elevated a you know. A, Specifically, talking about black folks, how how elevated they are, what kind of degrees, or whatever. It's like you always be a nigger, right? That's in their minds, like the fact that they are that these people again are this imaginary creation that they've made up in their mind. Like they're they're actually that like and holding on to that for dear life. Boogeyman, like this, so, you know. It's like, and 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 this is, and there's that great, that great James Baldwin quote in in this. And you should, you know, you should look up this this interview that he does with uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Kenneth Clark from uh, the early '60s, um, where where he he, you know, Kenneth Clark was asking him a question. He's like, what, you know, at the end of this interview, you know. What what would you you know what would you say to America and you know kind of in this moment and this again this is 1963 all of these you know the march on Washington protests all this stuff and he says um, he specifically was addressing the again quote unquote so called white America again as Tanya Easy Coates would say the people who believe themselves to be white he says what the, he says what the white inhabitants of this of this country have to ask themselves was why it was necessary to create the nigger in the first place. And he said, because I'm not, he said, he said, I'm not, he said, because I'm not a nigger. He says, I'm a man. He says, but if you think I'm a nigger, he says, that means you need him. Uh, and the question you have to ask is why? Yeah. 
Like, why, why is it necessary for you to, to make me into something that I am not? But you're convinced, but you're convinced that I am. Mm. And effectively, what that, that thing is, is a projection of something that comes from yeah. those people. Like, that's not my creation. Like, it's something you foisted on me, right? Or people that look like me or, or whoever, like, is, is supposedly, you know, is kind of fulfills the criteria of someone who would be classified as this thing. Yeah. Like, that's not mine. That's yours. And, and he says, and I'm giving it back to you so you can figure that out. Yeah. So this, is, this goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, I'm not obliged to participate in your delusion. Like, that's not my problem. That's your problem. I'm giving your problem back to you, and you figure that out, and I'm going to go live my life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, like, and, and, and effectively what James Baldwin said to, you know, when he was saying, all we want, all we want for you to do is just leave us alone. Right? That's what he said. He's like, we just need you to leave us alone. And apparently, you can't do that. Like not not you. I'm saying that the country cannot do that. Yeah. There's an as there's an aspect of the way that America operates that it 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 needs selectively like a, a very selective group of people to fail. It needs for them to fail. Yeah. And well, it that's is kind of what I was asking about. Like, people. can we? Can can that system, like, is it is it redeem? Like, can you reinvent that system in such a way that there isn't that it doesn't necessitate failure, like, because that is baked in. Like, that's the that's the way it works. It's you know you know it, it's entirely up to the it's entirely up to the people to reassess the belief, the assumption that that, that the failure of certain groups of people yeah. is required in order for the place to 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 function properly. Yeah. That's that's for that's for the people who believe that to be the case. To to actually figure out. Do you feel right? like that if, that's a conversation that's that's? Do you feel like the progressive movement represents that conversation happening in a in a in a, in, a, in a functional way right now or or not? Uh, it may, maybe in, in part, I mean, and this is what I was saying before about, you know, it's like people have sort of a commitment up to a point. Because here's the problem, here's the problem when, when you, you know, when you actually start sitting down and looking at this, like, honestly, like, you really stop being honest. And then what, what, and, and, and the thing that is really preventing people from being honest about this is certain people are going to find out that they're not the people who they thought they were. Yeah, well, that's the that's the key right there. Is like who wants and, and, and what happens is and what happens is when people when when certain folks realize that they are not the people that they thought they were that they they thought they were they, they'll fall apart. That's right. I resonate and, with that. I mean, I think may, that's maybe, what you see. Yeah, what you see happening. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say that's, that 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 we it just links back to your your point about you know, the op opioid crisis and suicides, like what happens when the, the white man, you know, middle-aged white guys start to realize that their, you know, fantasies about who they think they are as far, you know, like breadwinners and, 
citizens and, you know, like saving the world from itself or whatever the American sort of like exceptionalism, all these things is not, is, is not true. Where do you start to identify? Where do you source your meaning from? How do you go through that transition and how do we do that en masse? Like how does a whole group of people initiate themselves into sourcing meaning from a new place? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big, big thing for humans. It's a big, scary thing. Hey, you know what happened? Yeah, no, absolutely. What happened? You know, what happens is what happens is is false. That's what happens. You find out that religion is false. You find out that God doesn't actually exist. Yeah. And then, and then that's when you got to start. Fig- you got to start finding things to take the edge off the pain that comes from realizing that all that stuff that you invested in like is bankrupt. That's, that's, that's where, that's where the drug addiction comes from. That's where people drink comes from. That's where sex addiction comes from. That's where, you know, adrenaline freaks, all that stuff. That's where all is you're trying to take the edge off. And so in your own personal journey, that's all that is in your own personal journey. Did, did your, conversion and embrace of Islam coincide with a sort of like shattering of, uh, of like, like reality, some, some moment that you, like, you sort of like hit a moment where you realize that some construct that you were identifying with was, was sort of blatantly not true. And was, yeah, I mean, is that definitely, there a I don't think it's, there don't think it's a matter of, the, yeah. Say that again. Oh, I just—I was just saying, is there a linkage there for you? I, I think I—I I think we just timed out a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's I think part part in part in part, um, in large part. I mean, it, it, it also it's coming to realize the 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 real the reality of um, your mortality. So when I was uh, when I was 19, my father was killed in a car accident in New Jersey. He was, he was driving home from work. He was like about he was about two minutes from his from you know from where he lived. He was driving back. He was driving. He was driving from Princeton back to where he was living at the time. And he fell asleep at the wheel, and he ran up the road and he hit a small concrete abutment. Couldn't have been. It's barely a foot tall, and it just caught the undercarriage of the the car. And I had just seen him two days prior. I was just with him. We were in New Hampshire, funnily enough. It was my first time in New Hampshire. Um, and it was what's crazy is on that trip, um, I ended up passing by the place that I eventually that I eventually went to start working. My first job out of college, um, what two years a year year and a half, almost two, two years later, at uh, Dean Kamen's place in Manchester, at DECA Research Development. Um, he was like, he was the person I, I, I was like closest to. He was like, he was like kind of like my go-to guy, like the dude I would, you know, that was, that was like the guy I hung out with. Like, that was my ace. And, um, and I remember always thinking about whether like I'm like I was I would always think like man what would I do if something were to happen to him? Hmm. And and thinking that 
uh, it would be like, I don't know if I can handle it. Hmm. And then it happened and I didn't end up reacting in the way that I thought I would. And I remember, and I remember the week I had to like, I remember, you know, this is right around the time that the Gulf, that the Gulf war was actually going on. Mm -hmm. This is like December, like January 92. So um, Gulf War One, January 92. So I remember, so I was home on a break from college and, uh, and I, I had to go and drive down to, to New Jersey to um, identify the body. So I remember they had, you know, they went to the morgue and I remember they went to the hospital and they had them like a morgue and they had to pull them out in the, on the uh, on the on the slab, and I remember just like, just like looking at him. Like, I just remember looking in his face, and just, oh my God, like he's really gone. Hmm. And that that's probably that was like one of the seminal moments that eventually led led to me um, becoming Muslim. What is this? Seven seven years later. And it was just the idea that, um, you know, you, you realize how tenuous the line is between life and death. And so you just, you just begin to cut through a lot of the BS and you're just like, I just want to find out what I'm supposed to do. Like, I remember, th- I remember this was a constant thought with me. I just need to find out what I'm supposed to do, right? So I could just get to doing it. I've only got but so much time. And I just want to figure it out so I can do it. And um, that I think that laid the groundwork for me to kind of be open to the the the, the ideas, the, the the things that were communicated within uh, Islam. And um, and then once once I had, I'd met a, a group of people, you know, uh, after living in California for a couple of years, and um, I just really liked them. I mean, they didn't proselytize. They didn't, there was something about them and the way they were that I was just really drawn to. Hmm. And then I got curious, like after I realized, oh, you know, all these guys are Muslim. And I just started doing my own research. And then I just, I, you know, it was like, ding, this is what, I, this is what I've been looking for. Hmm. Like, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And um, it was that, it was, it was just like that. It, it was, yeah, it was just like, I found, I found where I'm, I'm supposed to be. But it was def. It was certainly um, just what you were saying. It's like there is an aspect of 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 you know that you have like a certain amount of comfort where you may find yourself at a at a given moment in terms of you know your world is sort of constructed in a particular way, and then something happens to to shake that, and then you begin to question things, you know, and you begin to reassess things, and um, you know, and you're challenged. And, uh, and sometimes we need that because, um, you might, again, you might, you, you just, you might have some very false notions about yourself and, and again, and the world that you, that you live in and, and where you are positioned or where you are oriented in the, in the midst of that order. Hmm. And, and then sometimes you need to, you need to be shaken up so that you can actually, um, be more in line with the way that things actually are, as opposed to the way that you would like to believe they are. 
and and I think over the course of your, your life, the gap between the two um, is is closed more and more till eventually you are actually in line, you're actually aligned with the way that reality functions as opposed to the way you would like to believe that it functions. Those are two entirely different things. Is that, is that intersection inevitable just in death or, or is this something to strive for as far as, you know, sort of a, a personal, I don't know, a personal growth uh, quest or a little bit of both in that? I I, th- I think I think ultimately, the I think at the at the heart of all this, is is you have to want to know what what is true, hmm. and you have to want to know what is true more than you want uh, what you believe uh, would make you happy. More than your yeah vision of comfort or whatever it is, yeah. Right, exactly. And I think there's a you know I was just reading this. this it was just, there was a little blurb about Nietzsche who was talking about you know people you know people wanting more than just being happy. Ultimately, yeah. you know people aren't only searching for be- they're not only searching for happiness. He said ultimately people are searching for meaning. Meaning, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and you suffer. And, and, I mean, if 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 you if you are dedicated to meaning, you'll. It brings meaning to suffering because you can't just be happy because shit happens. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's like any, you know, any. I mean, I, I've always found that very curious about people who, you know, there are people who are either well, not necessarily agnostic, but at least people who say, you know, I don't believe in God. Oh, well, why don't why don't you believe in God? Well, because you know, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, the whole kind of the theodicy, right? Hmm. What about what about things happen to good people? You know why is there suffering in the world? Why why is this? And and which is which is really really kind of funny to me. I mean, or or why do bad things happen? Yeah, why do bad things happen to good people or people who do, who they believe don't deserve to have bad things happen to them? Deserve. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, how? Well, it's like well, well, I guess first of all, you have to define what 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 is bad and what is good. Like what actually? How do you define bad and good? Like, do you mean that so is something, again, that you don't prefer or that you wouldn't, you know, necessarily choose for yourself initially, you're characterizing that as bad? And, and it's like, well, how do you know? All you, all you know is you have a preference. But you don't know, you don't actually know whether or not the thing you prefer is actually good for you mm-hmm. or if it's bad for you or if it's bad for you. Right. You just know you just have a preference. All of the, all of the, you know, all of the prophetic stories, you know, a lot of the stories of, you know, sort of the saints and the Sufis and the, you know, holy, all of those stories about are about the worst things happening to the best people. Mm-hmm. Like none of those people deserve, quote unquote, deserve what happened to them. The whole point was to see how good people deal with difficult situations. Adversity, yeah. Mm. And, and that's when you really find out you know, um, who people really are. And I'll, I'll give you a story. I mean, it's not a, it's not a prophetic story, but it's, it's, a, it's a story, actually a story about a guy I've been working with for the past, you know, for several years. And um, I mean, every time I talk to this dude, it's like, oh my God, dude, like, what? like how are you still going? 
Hmm. So this is guy. This guy I met several years ago, who who actually invited me to work on this project in Afghanistan. You should check it out. It's called Plant for Peace. And the and the 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 guy who uh, his name is James Brett. James, um, his story is unfreaking believable. So James, you know, James grew up in a in a in a community where his uh, his grandfather apparently his grandfather was a kind of like a like kind of the head of this like small religious community in this is in uh, Swindon, which I believe is is that that's Sussex. I'm not sure what county that is. It's kind of going more towards London, like and not that far from Reading. And um, and his, his family was like at like the, the center of this community. And his mom, like you know, took hey, care of. Uh, hey, hey Robbie, uh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I'm just noting we're, we're rapidly approaching the top of the hour, and I'm actually gonna. Oh, okay, sorry. Have uh, I'm gonna have another person pop into this. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Which, no, no, anyway, no. Yeah, I so should that's have said exactly, that's a couple minutes. Another, I was engrossed by the story, and then I looked at the, and then I looked at the, the time. time, and I was like, oh. No, I feel you. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, this is, um, that's actually a whole nother podcast all on its own. But we'll you should, it. if you can, yeah. you should look up, look up um, Plant for Peace. Um, I've been involved with that project since 2011. I brought and it up. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out. It's pretty. It's pretty crazy when you actually start looking at all of the the pieces, and I and it's even crazier once you find out more of the back the backstory on it. It's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Anyway. Well, man, I'm excited. But, I mean, I, I, I mean, I hope I hope this. I hope this. You know, I don't know if you got anything out of this. <laughs> hey, man, it's been. It was great to chat, and I think there was. I mean, I think there's some real important stuff emerging here i mean at least for me re it's a thought that i've had before but reconsidering you know how closely addiction and in the process and how correlated that is with what you know all this stuff on many different levels and you know anyway so so i'm taking that away maybe listeners will too uh, i just really appreciate you taking some time to you know and kind of frame out the historical perspective and um, yeah, so I'm just super grateful for your time, man. I, and I, I appreciate you um, getting in touch. I mean, there's a, I mean, there is, there's a lot of stuff we need to, you know, we need to connect on as far as like, you know, kind of work stuff. And I think this, there, there are a number of things that, um, yeah, it would be, it would be good to discuss as far as, you know, as far as that goes. Let's do it. Let's do it again soon, and and even just chat and uh, just one on one. Thank you so much, Rami. Absolutely. Th thank you, Gregory. And um, I, you know, I brag on you and Ethan all the time with like, yo, you gotta talk to my guys that did regenerative enterprise, and like, I brag on you guys all the time. Yeah. Likewise. <laughs> all right. Peace, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Be good. Take care. <laughs>